to Lindsay Live. Thank you for tuning in. It is November 2020, and we're fresh off a general election. It's that time that comes around every four years when tensions rise and citizens across the country are at the height of civic engagement. But in Lindsay, we believe that a civic-minded person should be engaged not just every 4th November, but year-round, year-in, and year-out. We empower our graduates to pay attention to the needs of their community and to become agents of change, constantly striving to make the world a better place for everyone. We've built these ideals into our curriculum in the form of our second out of seven spheres of lifelong learning, the civic sphere. According to our strategic design, a civic-minded person is someone who understands the differences among forms of government and economic systems identifies and analyzes local, national, and global issues, and serves and participates in the community to affect positive change. They celebrate democratic principles and develop creative solutions to complex challenges. They understand the historical aspects of civil life, realizing that what has happened in the past has brought us to where we are today. Civic-minded learners obey the laws, and when necessary, they work constructively for their change. Joining me today are three civic-minded individuals who are part of our performance-based education system here in Lindsay. Laura Cortez is a counselor at the Lincoln Learning Community who also serves on the Lindsay City Council. Hippolito Saris is a Lindsay graduate and a current attendee of the University of California, Davis. Hippo saw an opportunity to help improve the Lindsay community and has also recently taken a seat on the City Council. Katrine Gonzalez is a learning facilitator at Lindsay High School who runs student government in ASB and plays an important role in producing civic-minded graduates like Hippo. We've got a great conversation about the importance of civic engagement at the global, national, and local level coming your way after the jump, so stay tuned to Lindsay Live! Welcome back to Lindsay Live! It's been an eventful year for national politics. We just finished up a presidential election, a new Supreme Court hearing, and about a million other things that have happened in Washington. But being civically engaged is about much more than picking a president or following the stories we see on the news. I've got Laura Cortez, Katrine Gonzalez, and Hippolito Saris with me to talk about all of it. Laura, I'll start with you. What are some things that learners, graduates, and everyday citizens can do to get involved politically on the local level? really just staying informed as to what's going on locally. I know that being from a small town, many times we think, well, what can be going on in Lindsay? You would be surprised. There are a ton of different activities going on. Even with COVID, there are a lot of different organizations holding different events. City council meetings are still going on. Attending those meetings is probably the best way to get your firsthand information of what's going on in the city. So just staying informed and, and, and talking to people that can help you make a difference in your community. Tell us a little more about your role on city council. What are your responsibilities and how can members of the community participate other than just coming to meetings like you mentioned before? I represent the res residents of Lindsay. Every single member of our community, I am your voice basically along with the other four council members. We represent every person here in Lindsay. So any concern, any question that you may have, you can always approach us or ask to meet with us and just talk to us about how you're feeling about a certain issue, a certain street, 
or anything related to our city. There's a meeting twice a month for the most part. There's an agenda that comes out a few days before, like the Thursday before the meeting. And on there will state, you know, the different things we'll be voting on or any presentation that we may be having. So as a resident, it's important to look at the agenda. And if there's something that may impact you or that you feel strongly about, talk to your representatives, your council members, and let them know like, hey, you know, I don't agree with painting the building blue, let's say, or I think that you should vote this way instead of this other way. And tell us your why. I have certain feelings, you know, I live here in Lindsay and I feel a certain way, but I don't know how everybody else feels. And even if it's something that I may personally strongly feel about, if the majority of the other residents feel differently, then that's the way I will vote because ultimately I represent everybody, not myself. Give us some examples of the type of issues that you guys would handle on that local level as opposed to a nationwide or a statewide issue. Of course, a big one would be like the repairs of our city streets. You know, how do we prioritize them? Well, I can tell you certain streets because I probably drive on certain streets, but I don't drive through all of the streets. So I may not be aware of all of the streets that need repairs. So that's a perfect example of reaching out and say, hey, you know, um, can you find out when was the last time Sycamore was paved or um, Homicell or whichever street? And then we go back to our records and, and see, well, it was 20 years ago. Maybe it is time to put, you know, that street back on the list or, you know, move it up to the top five or whatnot. How can someone who might not know you personally find out how to contact their city council members? We do have a city page and all of our information is there, all of our contact information, along with all other city staff member information. Also, you know, one of the things that we do as Lindsay residents is go pay our water bill. The majority of us probably still go in person and pay our water bill at City Hall. So that's a good way to just ask for the information there and they should provide it. We are people that are accessible to the public because of the role that we carry out. Katrine, we want all of our learners to be civically involved. We want them to be the type of people who see those issues and can go to city council with a solution or begin working towards one on their own. What are some ways you encourage that in your learning environment? Well, I'm a high school LF, and I think it actually starts way before that. I think that being involved and having a voice in the learning environments as early as pre-kinder kinder first grade that that's how young people learn how to share their concerns they learn how to communicate when there's an issue that they're upset about in a way that's constructive and respectful as a parent and as an lf i can see that you know it does it starts very early and some people play like a parent role might even say it starts you know, before school, when children are toddlers, when there's an issue in your home, can people sit down and have a discussion about it? And I think that our homes and our classrooms play a really important role in teaching, teaching each other how to help, how to voice our concerns, how to have a disagreement, how to talk about it. In that way, we're trying to model what we need to do on a larger scale in our school as a, as a whole, in our community as a whole, and then ultimately in our nation, how to interact and have constructive communication with each other and 
how to say, I respectfully disagree with you. You may not be able to change someone else's mind, but we can find common ground so that as a society, we can keep moving forward. We can make changes that are going to affect people in a positive way. So I really feel like it goes back to, you know, our homes and our learning environments and how LS model and teach learners how to be leaders in their group, how to be leaders in their classroom, how to communicate with each other. I think that that's where the civic mindedness begins. As a learning facilitator, you have the responsibility of building lifelong learners who can seek out information and educate themselves on these issues. You talked about how you have disagreements and how you can work through them together, but we live in a polarizing political climate right now. A lot of emotion around many issues, and we're seeing some teachers, especially in higher education, who are taking some heat, really, for pushing their beliefs instead of empowering learners to make decisions for themselves. What do you do to avoid blurring those lines, and how do you make sure your learners are able to think independently and make their own decisions? A lot of it goes back to how we pose questions as a learning facilitator, really thinking about the standard. An example is in my environmental science class right now, we're studying about natural resources and possibly how to build an off-the-grid home. And so learners are having to look up what are the rules and regulations that monitor natural resources in different countries all over the globe. Not This is not just an American thing. This is, you're a global citizen. So how, as you become a voting adult, how do you make decisions based on the current laws and regulations for the use of natural resources so that globally we're doing our part to make sure that resources are accessible to all citizens of the earth? Tying it to standards, but then posing it as questions so that learners are having to dig in and really discover what are the rules and the regulations that have been written. And some of the learners are shocked because the rules were written 80 years ago and they've never been revised and no young person has ever challenged them. So, you know, they'll come to me and say, why is this still a rule? Why is this still what we're acting on? And it's like, it's eye-opening for I think the learners to do some of that research. And I'm not necessarily the one that has all the answers. I feel like as a learning facilitator that we're asking the questions and we're posing it based on the standards so that the learners can dig in and find where the changes need to occur and where we need to make our resources more accessible or our laws more inclusive. It really comes down to how we pose the questions so that the young people can do the research. Have you ever encountered a situation where your learner discovers something in their research and comes to you with an issue in which their opinion is opposed to yours politically or maybe even morally? How do you handle a situation like that? I mean, I feel like as a learning facilitator in a public high school, that happens all the time. You know, there can be things happening in the news, let's say the election that just occurred. And as a learning facilitator, first of all, I feel that my vote and my beliefs are very personal. And that isn't what my job is about. My job isn't to use that platform in that way. But I think that, I mean, there's so many times that I've played the devil's advocate 
even in a situation, you know, my whole class may, there may be a majority of the class that views one thing, but my role as a learning facilitator is to pose the questions, even for the opposing side. Because I know for me, politically, I watch, you know, news outlets from all different viewpoints, because I want to see what the opposing side is talking about. If all of us come to the table from our perspective and we all think we're correct, we're never gonna find that common ground. My job as a learning facilitator is teaching my learners that, like look at all the angles. So you may have found an article from an American news source on an issue. Why don't you find a similar article from a Chinese news source? You know, go to a source that's from a different part of the world, from a different perspective, so that you can try to understand where other people are coming from and not be so focused just on your beliefs. I do think that when you can talk about it from all angles, it actually can make the conversation deeper and more productive in the long run. Hippolito, you're a graduate of the Lindsay Performance-Based System. Do you feel like your experience in Lindsay helped you become a more civic-minded person? First of all, thank you for having me. I'm really excited to, to be here and share my perspective and viewpoint. For sure. Happy to have you. Thank you. Thank you. In regards to the PBS, I, I'm actually very happy that I, I got the chance to be involved in the PBS system because I think it helped me become a more civic-minded person. I think being a civic-minded person requires attention. It requires common knowledge, education, and overall awareness. And I think all these components are some of the uh, many benefits that came from the PBS system. And then I do wanna emphasize on what the PBS system does to a student. I think it really shapes them to be well-rounded, something that I honestly think is critical in today's society. It shapes them to be self-driven. It shapes them to, to analyze any piece of information. And again, it just helps them become a lot more aware and to contribute to those social issues that impact our communities. Were there any specific experiences that made you want to become more civically involved as a graduate and as an adult? Yeah, uh, I think it's it's the the unique place and where we're at right now, um, what this country's been through, and where we're headed as a as a society. That made me realize that I wanted to be more civically involved as a graduate. Uh, not only that, but I do think that it's important that youths are involved in these kind of decision processes because these are the groups that are the the ones greatly impacted by the decisions that are being implemented. Hippo, you're not only a student at UC Davis now, but you're also on the city council in Lindsay. So a little more civically involved than your average high school graduate. Can you tell us about that role and how you became involved in city council? Going to UC Davis from a small city was a major cultural shock, but I think it was something that I think was necessary because I was able to see all these different perspectives that are pretty deeply evident into, into our society. I think it's pretty cool and great that youths are actually excited about politics because you hear the term politics and people assume it's this bland, uninterested thing. But in reality, it's this really important role that impacts anyone's life, whether you're involved in politics or not. It shapes our policies, it shapes our laws, it makes our regulations, and it shapes the way we live. 
I think um, I have a unique perspective because I'm a student, so I'm able to firsthandly witness and experience what remote learning does. I'm sure Katrine can kind of experience what le remote learning does, not only as a facilitator, but as a student. So I think I could really voice for those individuals that could be struggling, let's say, for example, Wi-Fi connection or access to resources or unable to work with technology or things like that because in, in Lindsay, at least, um, I'm a first generation student and I know I'm not the first. So I think that it's really important to have someone to help you navigate through those issues because it's a it's hard, you know, as a first gen student, as a minority person of color, it's it's not the easiest thing, but I think it's important to make that stepping stone evident and clear to make it known that it's possible. Anyone can do it as long as you have that self drive. Again, something that I acquired from the PBS. There's so many people out there listening right now who look around their community or even at the nation as a whole and feel a need for change. If you look at social media, you'll see a lot of blame throwing and finger pointing and I get a sense that many people just feel like, why doesn't someone fix this? Why doesn't someone come save us? How can we change that mindset? How can we encourage individuals to get involved? What's the process for someone who sees a problem in their community to get off the couch, log off of social media and become a part of the democratic solution. So one of the things that I noticed as a person myself, and then just someone sitting on city council, is we get a lot of complaints, right? Oh, why don't you do this? Why don't you do that? This could be done better. And all of that may be true. But like you said, I think it, it boils down to then individual responsibility as well. You know, how are you going to contribute to helping solve that, or even just to bring it to someone's attention, because we don't know it all. We don't know everything that is going on at all times. So if you bring it to someone's attention that may be able to help in some way, I mean, that's a step in the right direction, I think. And then just talking to people and, you know, one of the things that I've learned, you know, working here in the district as well is that fixed mindset compared to that growth mindset. If you have that fixed mindset, well, this is no good. Somebody should be doing something about it. It's never going to change. That's a fixed mindset there. But if you move towards a growth mindset and say, you know what, okay, we have an issue. How are we going to solve it? Another thing that I thought of while Mrs. Cortez was talking was about the representation and, and diversity in our leadership roles, in our schools, in our churches, in all areas of a community. I know, Lindsay, we're a small community, but when young people look to their school principal, their school counselor, their pastor at their church, their doctor, they should see people that represent them. They should see people from all different backgrounds. As a learning facilitator, we've been pushing our learners to go to universities and colleges for years and years and years, but it's more than that. It's not just going away to the best university and then never helping the community which you end up residing in. And I'm not saying that it has to be Lindsay. I'm not saying that you are obligated to come back to Lindsay, but whatever community you decide to reside in, be a contributing member, be a leader of your church, be a leader of the school that your kids go to so that other young people see diverse representation of all types of parents, of all types of leaders. I think it motivates people. It makes people feel like they can reach out to someone. Maybe they'll know someone that's holding an office and it's not just held 
by an elite group of people from one culture or from one background. That was really nicely said for both of them. And to kind of add on, I'm really proud of who I am and where I come from. You know, like this is my home. Growing up, you know, I would hear and see these promises being made in our communities. And as much as I respect and admire and acknowledge the really hard work that, that's been done throughout the years, I'm a really firm believer that there's always room for some improvements. And I mean that in the most humble way possible. And I actually really like these questions. And it was that question of, well, why doesn't someone fix this? That really drove me to become more civically involved. And I think one of the main components of being civically involved is showing up, making your voice heard. If someone sees a problem in their community, I encourage them to re reach out. As public officials, I emphasize on the fact that we are accessible. We really do listen. And you know, we're not these shady individuals trying to hide from the spotlight or anything like that. We really are try to remain accessible. And at the end of the day, I'm sure the other council members and facilitators can agree that we are a resource. We're here to better our communities, but the main thing, we can't do this alone. We really need to hear those other voices and again, encourage those people to show up. Yeah, as a city council member, you're probably a little more accessible than the president. You might have more direct impact on the day-to-day -day life of your community as well. But we did just have a presidential election and it's impossible to exist in America and not hear about that every day. But there was a lot more on the ballot than the president. What's the difference between a local election and a national or statewide election and what else is on the ballot? I can tell you that locally, for the most part, it is picking different candidates to represent you, but also tax measures at times that impact families' financial um, or finances, right? Their, their pocket. So those are typically the things that as on a city level that are put on the ballot. Obviously, what happens here locally has a bigger impact on us on a daily basis than maybe state or even other national measures that that we vote on at times. There's not a lot really that goes on the ballot every two or four years, but what we do vote on locally does have a bigger impact on our daily lives. Besides the presidential nominees, there are a lot of other crucial things that are on that ballot. And I think voting, it's something almost sacred because it allows you to voice your opinion, not only on who you want to represent your communities, but voicing your opinions on propositions that essentially uh, shape our ways of living. For example, um, Proposition 17, which restores the right to vote for people convicted of felonies, that really, again, allows you to vo voice that opinion and make sure that whatever your opinions are and what you stand by, it doesn't go unheard. Besides city council members that represent us locally, we have other governing boards at the local level that sometimes we forget about, but we have our school board, for example, our school board members, you know, sometimes they are up for election or re-election or we have new members running. We also have the Lindsay Local Hospital Board that a lot of people are not familiar with because we no longer have an existing hospital building, but we still have a board that receives funds that impact our community at the local level. So it's important that, that we also consider those members because ultimately they represent us here in our local community. So on a local level, if I have an issue that's very specific to my neighborhood, my city, my community, the best course of action is to approach a city council member? Yeah, and you know, we're so fortunate to be a small community that people can even approach the city themselves. They can email, they can call, they can walk in person. They may not get a person right away. Appointment may have to happen, 
But that's one of the beauties of living in a small community that we have people that are accessible to us. However, if that's not something that people feel comfortable with, definitely contacting your representatives through either email, telephone call, a text. That would be the easiest way. What about those statewide issues? Like HIPAA was talking about Prop 17, for example. Mm -hmm. Who decides what issues get voted on? And if I'm passionate about an issue like that, how can I make a difference? What's the process for getting that on the ballot? For sure, contact your local representatives. I know the representative here in the county is Devin Nunes, someone that you could just send an email, write a letter, reach out directly. Essentially, he is a part of Congress. Congress, as we know, is a legislative body that represents almost everybody, proposes laws, enacts laws, and that's where we vote for them laws. Knowing for sure who those people are and what they represent can essentially just shape your standpoint and viewpoint. Again, just remain knowledgeable and on all the external social forces that come into play in our communities. Change on these local small communities are a lot bigger than you think, and it just persuades others to become more civically involved. What if I'm just not that into politics? Maybe I know who the president is, but I have no clue who my local representative is. How can I find out who I need to speak with? online. You could search it up on your phone. You can search it up on a computer, a tablet. You just put, who are my local representatives? You might get a few other questions like your zip code or enter your address, and it'll tell you everybody, you know, that represents you. Even as a council member from a small city, another of our responsibilities, I think, is to ensure that we create those relationships with other officials, you know, at the county level, at the state level, and even federal level. And those opportunities exist. They exist by being involved in different committees, by going to different meetings. So even though really we're responsible for attending our city council meetings twice a month, we should also be attending other meetings such as a county board of supervisors meetings or other state meetings that sometimes, well, especially nowadays, they're accessible online and we could even watch at a later time, not necessarily live. So uh, we have those opportunities and we need to take advantage of those opportunities just making contact with, with the different officials. Yeah, yeah, I think Laura makes a really great point. It is um, that matter of networking. I love talking to people. I love meeting new people, seeing their positions and their viewpoints. Um, and again, serving on those communities are essentially the, the frameworks and the groundworks for developing uh, communities that we're all happy to live in. And um, besides using the internet as a source to look at who your representatives are, you can always just ask, reach out to a facilitator or even your council members to make sure that uh, you know who those representatives are. It certainly is much easier nowadays. With a simple Google search, you can find out who your representative is and who you need to get in touch with. Even reaching out to them can be as simple as a couple of clicks. Information is everywhere, news is everywhere, but sometimes that can even be a double-edged sword, right? There are so many voices telling us how to think and what to believe, and an equally intimidating amount telling us that person's a liar or that's fake news. How do I know who to trust? What are some techniques that you use to determine what is quality information and what is not? Depending on what the issue is or what the matter at hand is about, really reading the text about it and then talking to different people. I know Katrine mentioned, you know, talking to people that are even that that even oppose and those that are for it, you know, for that matter. And then 
coming to the best conclusion that you can. I think that's one of the things that we learn when we're in school is, you know, you make your best decisions having the information that you've researched or that you've reviewed at hand. So for me, that's what it's been, talking to people that have experienced certain things before or have had certain experience and people that are going through certain situations that may be impacted one way or another. That's also a way of getting the firsthand knowledge on how the, the matter may impact residents. I like to analyze the source's metadata. So by metadata, I mean the data about the data. So I like to take a step back and raise those posing questions and just to assure that the content is relevant and accurate to the social issue. So questions such as like, who created the data? What do they represent? How was the research acquired? Was this process a process that has been accepted in, in the field of other research methods? Just things like that. So really being aware and making sure that the research you do is the critical research, you know, because the web is, it's a source where it could be pretty biased. You could read something that is not only misleading, but dangerous. You know, it could create this sort of narrative in your head and contribute to the standpoint that could possibly be completely wrong and completely off and just inaccurate. And that I think is, it's something dangerous, but it's something to be really aware of. On the flip side of that, do you believe there's such a thing as unbiased reporting? I think that we all come to the table with our experiences when I'm, you know, I'm listening to both of you speak and it's obviously hearing over and over that you have to read, you have to dig, you have to ask those questions, you have to consider other perspectives, but I think that we also have to be honest about what our background is and the perspective that not only you view the world, but how the world views you, because that impacts your perspective and your experiences. Just having those conversations with our learners about, you know, what is your experience? What is, what, what are your beliefs? What does your family value? And being open-minded and trying to come to the table knowing that each of us has something unique to offer and those experiences impact what we believe. I feel like it's important to draw that line between emotion and logic. And a lot of the times in today's society, we hear terms like wrong, fake news. It makes you really question what is relevant and true. And I think those are really crucial details that someone should consider. Again, to add on to what Katrine said, having that open mind, understanding that your position on a topic isn't the only position, or it may not even be the correct position on the topic. There are a lot of other perspectives that you should acknowledge, and you should also acknowledge that your positions are not only gonna impact you as a person, but they're gonna impact everybody. We have to make sure that everybody who has a seat at this table is, has something to say and is benefited by any type of legislature or decision that's being made. Well, like Katrine said, we all bring our own background and our own experiences to the table with us. And a lot of times it's very easy to wrap our own identity into our position on a particular issue. So how do you step back from your own bias and your own identity and allow yourself to listen and hear other people's voices? And like you said, Hippo, keep an open mind to them. Do you have any strategies that you practice to be more self-aware? I'm learning as I go, you know, I'm an avid learner. I like to listen, you know, I, I acknowledge that I'm not the only person in the room. 
And I also like to consider any external social forces that contribute to a person's standpoint, because I think it's really important to understand that we come from different backgrounds and that essentially shape where we stand and how we vote and things like that. There is this fine line between emotion, again, and logic, you know, because sometimes in legislative processes, a lot of a lot of the times you'll see emotions playing into into these types of things. You'll even see religion or things like that. And I think it's really important to consider that fine line between a government and religion, that separation of powers, all those things. Again, just being very knowledgeable of all the aspects because in legislative dis discussions, I feel like they're, they're very delicate. It's almost like playing with fire. You say the wrong thing and just bam, it just goes downhill. And it's just very important to, again, just take that step back and really make that known to yourself that you're not the only one in this room you know there are people that have these positions on topics and really acknowledge their views and i don't like to argue but i do try and reason their logic because i think it's important to have a standpoint that's backed up with supporting data i think it comes down to making a conscious decision it's it's that understanding that we live in a global society and the issue can't be purely american or non-American. When we're talking about civic mindedness, we need to be really clear that it's a conscious decision to learn, to read about the issues, and to, like Hippo said, to understand that people come to the table with their own background. When it comes to, you know, making a decision about street repair, taking the emotional part out of that and looking at, you know, and having the city employees pull the data for the citizens. What are the most traveled upon streets in the city? What are the streets that have public services? Because those streets are maybe a higher priority than say a neighborhood street. Looking at data and being driven by data and providing needs to a greater percentage of the population has to be, it's not emotional. It's let's look at what, you know, what are the facts and then let's make a prioritized list of what we can get done so that citizens feel like there's progress being made the reason why you came to the meeting may not be number one on the list, but if they see that there's a procedure in place for growth and progress to happen, it's easier to address an issue without it being emotional. And people can feel like their voice was heard, they're part of the plan. I've been to some of those local school board meetings and you definitely see those emotions coming out. Like Hippo said, you're playing with fire even if you're just discussing something as mundane as zoning or street repair. We've talked a lot about how to make changes in the community and how we can try to make the world a better place, but even if we have the best of intentions, there will always be people who disagree and always people who will be passionate about that disagreement. I'm sure if the four of us dug deeper into specific issues, we could find some areas in which we have some pretty heated disagreements ourselves. Even if we all want the best for each other, we'll often have differences of opinion on what that best looks like and most certainly how we get there. Now more than ever, these differences can seem pretty difficult to overcome. So how do you react when someone doesn't agree with the issues, movements, or methods that you are most passionate about? 
number one is stay calm because you can get very emotionally involved and respond in a very emotional way and then things don't work out always remember respect it was mentioned earlier we all have different different backgrounds different experiences we have to somehow keep that in the back of our heads and, and just remind ourselves, you know, that's why we have a difference in opinion, which can be a good thing. Let's still be respectful. There's no need to degrade each other or yell at each other or anything like that. And let's talk about it. Really have this solution focused, looking at the data, looking at the research and do what's in the best for the majority. I agree. Respect has to be at the center in the classroom, sometimes there's issues with one learner or a group of learners. And something that I've shared with learners is that each of us can contribute. We may not all contribute in the same way on the same day. The person in your classroom or in your school that you feel you are so opposed against you never know what situation you may be in in the future where you need to rely on each other or where you may need their opinion. I've been in situations where the person, you know, someone surprises you. They say just the right thing at the right time or they're there to solve something that maybe I had never thought of. And I just think that we have to recognize in every human that there is going to be different ways for people to contribute at different times and that it's all valuable. Just because at this moment, I may be struggling with one thing or understanding one heated topic doesn't mean that I am forever your enemy. It doesn't mean that I can never contribute to the community. So I think we have to have that. And when someone feels emotional or attacked, trying to be empathetic and understand where they're coming from and why they're so heated about it. And then asking them, well, what would you do to contribute to this? If you had the power, what would you decide? But it has to start with respect and recognizing that each person contributes in different ways on different days at different times. I have for sure, you know, encountered a lot of people that may not have the similar beliefs as me and as someone who is very vocal and passionate about the issues i do always re try and remain calm you know i always try and, and to enforce the peace because at the end of the day you know i'm a really firm believer that there we're a lot more similar than we are different and you know at the end of the day there has to be peace at the end of the day, you know like we're all people regardless of where we come from we're all people who share this this earth share the land share the resources so I do really like to enforce the peace. And again, when encountering someone that I don't agree with, I don't attack the person, but I do like to pick into their beliefs, you know, like never the person, but just the police, the, the ideas, things like that, kind of like what shapes them to be at the place that they are now. And really reason with their logic. And that was something that I really, I learned at, not only my time at LHS, but in Davis too. At UC Davis, there were demonstrations almost like twice a week. A lot of these demonstrations I didn't believe in, in then, nor did I support it, but I did acknowledge that they were there for a reason. And I did acknowledge that the, the platform and the position they, that they had were firmly believed on, and there had to be some change that addressed those the changes that they wanted, even if they were changes that I didn't agree with. I knew that there was a large 
a large group of people that felt a certain way. So I do think that their needs, they have to be acknowledged. At the end, they, their voices have to be heard, even if it's a voice that I don't agree with. I just want to add on, you know, going along with what Katrine mentioned earlier, there is always an opportunity to get involved, including in grade school. You know, there's a lot of different community projects that we start off with in grade school. So as a school counselor, I have the opportunity to lead our learners in some of those activities. And one of my favorite part of my job is to, to help the youth get involved. And even beyond school, there are a ton of different organizations and clubs here in our community that are just waiting, you know, to have people get involved because without people, without their help, without them being part of these organizations, then they're going to die off if we don't keep them going. So always look for those opportunities. Please reach out if you have any concern, an idea, anything like that. You know, I do want to remain accessible. I love talking to people, love meeting the people. You know, I think Lindsay's a great community. We have a lot of potential, and I'm just really excited to uh, the changes that could be made. Hippolito Saris, Laura Cortez, and Katrine Gonzalez, thank you so much for joining the podcast today. You've been great guests. It's been a lot of fun talking with you. And thank you for having thank me. Thank you. Thank you. And as always, thank you for listening. Follow us on SoundCloud, iTunes, and now on Spotify, so you won't miss us next time on Lindsay Live.